Let us now proceed to the scriptures and turn to Genesis chapter 29. Genesis 29, verse 15, uh, through to the end of the chapter, verse 35. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Uh, tell me, what should your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. <clears throat> now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your youngest, your younger daughter. And Laban said, It is better that I give you give her to you than that I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me your wife. Uh, give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go into her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah, and he said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, It must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Therefore, fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also for the service which you serve with me still another seven years. Then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. So he gave him his daughter Rachel as a wife. And Laban gave his maid Bilna, a Bilhah, to his daughter Rachel as a maid. So Jacob also went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was un, uh, unloved, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son and called his name Reuben, for she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time... My husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. May the Lord bless this, this text and this reading and our understanding um, or understanding of the text. As I said, uh, the title of the sermon is Strange Family Providences. Now, have you ever wondered, as you thought about yourself and your family, have you ever wondered to yourself, is our family crazy? Or maybe it was some, some family near you that you had close observation of. Um, 
is this family, these friends of ours, these people that we know, are they are they crazy? Uh, how do families produce so-called black sheep? That is uh, idiosyncratic children that uh, that stand out from the rest. That you know, seven out of eight kids can kind of walk in the way of the covenant, and then you'll have one child that seems to be um, sitting on the fence, uh, uh, enjoying that precarious place. Uh, why uh, why can't wholesome families just be wholesome families? Uh, well, God reveals a whole lot in the story about Jacob and his family. Because again, we have here the, the one family in the whole of civilization at that time that was an elect family, that was a family of God. And yet what we see is that there, almost immediately there were problems or confusions, deviances, uh, and the, 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 the line was definitely not an easy, straight line. And we need to take this in. We need to consider it. We need to apply it to ourselves today. We need to not get inordinately discouraged when we see our families having troubles or having weirdness take place in the midst of them. Because we can say, well, I see the same thing happen in God's family, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob's family, and his 12 children. Uh, it began with such a hopeful sign, that is, a true love and an affection and a devotion between uh, Rachel and Jacob. But it almost immediately, there were storm clouds on the horizons, and, uh, and things began to happen very quickly that indicated that this pro- the providence of their lives was not going to be easy. Now, the word providence in Scripture it has to do with God's sovereignty over the, the way things go for human beings. And indeed, for all of the, all of the animal world, the, the climate and everything. God, we know the Bible says that God is sovereign over all of these things. He's sovereign over the weather. He's sovereign over us, our behaviors. Uh, he's sovereign over our children. And, uh, and uh, he orders these things uh, to develop in certain ways. And his, his ways are always just, the Bible says, but his ways are not always uh, straight or simple in terms of what we might hope for or what we might expect. And so <clears throat> what we see here right away in as Jacob uh, goes to marry Rachel, we see the difficulties of the storm clouds arising. Now, I've, I've arranged the... Uh, the sermon in terms of uh, four points. I'm going to develop probably the fourth point the most, but uh, the immediate complications of love, first of all. Secondly, providence's simplicities. Thirdly, providence's complications. And lastly, the depths of providence. In other words, the, the kinds of things that God brings about through these negative and positive providences. If providences are, are, seem to go the way we think they should go, we call them positive providences. That is, if we have the right mindset about it ourselves. Uh, but if, if uh, the providences go negatively, if they go against us or seemingly against us, then we call them negative providences. But we know the Bible teaches us that both negative and pro- positive providences work out for good. We, we know Romans 8.28 is the great, the great verse on the outcome of providence. 
All things work out for good with those who are called according to God's purposes. All things work out for good. So all of these things that work out, some of them positive, apparently positive, some apparently negative, all of them, whether negative or positive, work out to bring about uh, God's will. And we know that in the end, God's will is wonderful and good and pure and brilliant. And so... Uh, we see that with this family. If you just read through this text or read through this story without thinking about the doctrine of providence, you're, you are almost immediately confused. You think if this, if this story is the way of the enlightened family of the world, maybe we want to depart from enlightenment. You know, maybe we, we want to dispense with the Lord or dispense with his care. If this is the way the people of God are, there are many people today that act that way about the church. If this church is that way, forget about it. I'm not going to spend my time dealing with this church because of all the problems that I see, all the dalliances, all the uh, confusions. Uh, but we see here that this is the providence, this is the story of God's own family. And so it's much more than a story, and much more than a narrative. It's a theological lesson for us to deal with our lives today and the difficulties that we see about us. You can be a young person, and you can desire to do uh, righteousness. You can desire to walk in the ways of the Lord. That does not mean that you will not be exposed to difficulties. And those difficulties may prove to be the most sanctifying influences on your life. So if you've prayed for sanctification, if you've prayed that you might love the Lord with all of your heart, your soul, and your strength, these difficulties might be the, the core or the central instrument that God uses to bless you in that way for which you've prayed. So we see, is let's look at this then, let's look at the story as it unfolds. First of all, we see the... Um, the uh, the magic of of um, Jacob's love for um, for Rachel and its immediate complications. And the verses just preceding the ones that we've read this morning, um, <clears throat> we see uh, verses ten and eleven of verse twenty nine that we read last week. Uh, we see that. Uh, it says, Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother. And uh, uh, so he, it, it, when it says he saw her, that, that indicates that, that what he saw he liked and what, he, what he, he got excited immediately. He came here looking for a bride, and here's this woman coming. And from everything he can see, uh, she excites his heart and soul. And then it finally says that Jacob kissed Rachel in verse 11, or verse, yeah, verse 11, and lifted up his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebekah's son. So she ran and told her father. Everybody was excited. It was a immediately positive kind of a thing. It seems like there was an attraction between Rachel and Jacob and Jacob and Rachel immediately. There was kind of magic there in their minds and eyes. But immediately we see the complications of love. Verse 16, it says, Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. 
And if you know the rest of the story, you know that that's where the complications began. Um, all of these things about which we read, about the, the custom of the land, uh, how uh, Laban's mind was uh, caught up with the culture of the land. You know, cu custom and culture are not necessarily the, spring forth in the word of God. And where they don't, we need to put the word of God over them and consider the word of God sacred and the customs of the land uh, uh, secondary. But Laban could not do that. He didn't have the eyes to see and the ears to hear that kind of thing. And then he had these two daughters, and Leah was the oldest one. And so in Laban's mind, he had, he had certain, uh, a certain sense of equity. Now, that's a very popular term today in politics. Um, the, uh, the party that seems to be working so at such uh, counter ends to the Lord and to the Lord's ways, um, they are, just recently, they have started to use this word equity, and equity is one of the three words of the French Revolution. Uh, fraternity, equity, and I forget what the third one was, but uh, these were these were these were uh, words that were the epitome of the of the uh, revolutionary people in France in the seven, late 1700s, and they did the most ungodly things in the name of uh, fraternity and equity and these kinds of things. So, uh, but uh, Laban had this idea of equity in his mind. Uh, equity means equality. It's the, the, in, in its in its roots. It's a it's a good thing that we we treat people with equity. We treat people with equality. But the whole question is, what is how do you define equality? And is it equality of opportunity or is it equality of outcome? I mean, if if it's an equality of outcome, then we might force some people to give up their hard-earned money to subsidize people that are non-covenant people, non-covenant concerned people, uh, for the sake of this idea of equity. If you if you get your if you get your definition of equity from God, what is really what is really equal in the eyes of the Lord? Then it's a totally different story. But all of these words, if we do not define them according to God and His Word, we always end up in trouble by them. Uh, whose dictionary do we use? The Lord Jehovah's or the worlds or men. And so uh, there were immediate complications to this love tale. Uh, the, you have these two children, these two young people. Well, they weren't that young, but uh, especially we think that Jacob had some uh, a little older than uh, Rachel. But we have the, 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 the love that was in their hearts and their minds. And then we have them trying to fit into this world in which they were born and in which they encountered one another. <laughs> In terms of uh, in terms of providence's simplicities, I've I've argued here that there's a, a good deal, good many complications here. In terms of providence's simplicities, we see things like Jacob's heart and Rachel's heart. There was no there were no kind of complications there. They were uh, they were in love almost from the get go. Uh, they were simply dedicated to each other. As as Laban worked out the seven year working obligation for Jacob, the text says that it, the seven years passed like nothing. It seemed like it was uh, just a fortnight or a, a couple week period of time because he was so he was so thrilled 
for the prospect of finding a wife, not just finding a wife, but finding a wife that he was really attracted to and that he really loved. And um, uh, he appears that uh, in terms of uh, Providence's simplicities, Jacob had many virtues. He was an industrious lad. He had many skills. We know from later on in the tale that God was blessing him. Well, God was blessing his sheep that he took care of. And uh, Laban noticed it was, it was an obvious kind of a thing that God was blessing Jacob as a covenant head, as a patriarch. He was blessing him so that Laban was always trying to figure out how can I get ahead of the Lord and get kind of the get, get the blessing that I see flowing to Jacob to be my blessing. So Jacob had all kinds of skills, all kinds of industry. He was a hard worker. He was a, a lad of, of much virtue. And all that worked out for good. Uh, that was that was an easy thing to see. And uh, evidently Rachel uh, was, was patient also, and uh, she just longed for this day. But I think most of us today, if we had a seven-year engagement period, we wouldn't be so happy about it. We'd think, this is inordinately long. I don't care for this idea at all. But these two kids, they seem to be patient with the whole idea. Uh, Jacob had arrived there. Remember this. I mean, he was, he was a, a patriarch's son. He was an aristocrat's son, but he didn't come with Isaac's money or Isaac's uh, possessions. He came, he, he did have some, uh, some nice jewels and nice, some nice earrings that he bestowed upon Rachel, but he didn't, have, he didn't come with uh, a, a wagon load of money that he could endow uh, Laban, her, her, uh, her superior, with in order to marry her. And so it works out that and God was kind to Jacob in allowing him to work, to substitute labor, these seven years of labor, for a dowry for, uh, for uh, Rachel. And that's a blessing. So there were many blessings that, worked, that were at work here. But almost immediately we see these, these dire complications. Uh, we see... Uh, in verse 22, 23, 25, 27, uh, 23, we see that, um, that uh, the wedding, the, the day for the, the seven years finished, and so Jacob goes to Laban and says, it's time for, it's time for this wedding to take place. I, I've served you for seven years. Uh, it's time for Rachel and I to have uh, a union together. And so Laban put together this big feast and everything. And it says in verse 23 that it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob. And he went into her. Now, it was the custom of the land at that time. We see in chapter 24, verse 65, that when, remember when, when, uh, when Rachel saw uh, uh, Jacob, and she asked his servant who had gone forward to meet her. She asked him, "Who is that? Who is that ahead?" And he said, "That is my sir. That is my master." Immediately, she put a veil on her face. So it, it appears that that was the custom of the day that when you would get when you go near to someone who you thought you might marry, that you would be veiled. And evidently, this was carried over to the wedding ceremony. The wedding was apparently done at night. And uh, then she, uh, they were given to each other. She went in, and she did not uh, take off the veil before uh, they made love that night and, and consummated their marriage. Uh, and so 
uh, Jacob just didn't know who he was with. And uh, uh, I'm sure that they were both impassioned. And, and uh, so those things worked against them too. But he wakes up in the morning after marrying this woman at, uh, through the night. He wakes up in the morning and finds out that he's with her sister, Leah, and not with Rachel. And he's, uh, he's, his mind is boggled. He's uh, utterly confused and overwhelmed with uh, what in the world. So he goes and he remonstrates with Laban. And, um, uh, and uh, Laban explains himself such as it was. It wasn't a very good explanation. I mean, Laban was a deceitful man. He, he did not talk about, I mean, if, if Laban was so confident in this idea ahead of time, if he thought it was so righteous, why didn't he discuss it with Jacob ahead of time? Say, well, uh, you know, here in this land, we I cannot give you Rachel without Leah. So, you know, work for me so many years for the both of them. And then you, you, if, if you marry Leah and Rachel, then that will be acceptable. But he didn't do that because he was a man of deception. He didn't think that, that Jacob would go for that up front. And so he veiled his intentions with duplicity and with deceit. And so uh, it arises that way. And so that's the first part of the complication uh, of that. Now, the second thing is that we know that um, later on, Leviticus 18.18, uh, 18, it prohibits... Uh, a man marrying uh, two sisters together. And so uh, you think to yourself, how could this have happened that God allowed this to happen where uh, Leah and Rachel both are married to the same man? First of all, God's norm is for one believing man to marry one believing woman, Allah, uh, Adam and Eve. Uh, they married when they married. They were both righteous. Their hearts were whole. They, they were not fallen creatures. Everything was intact in terms of their more morality, their love of God, and so that just adds to the inexplicability of the fall. But nonetheless, we see that that was the norm. That was the paradigm that God gives us for marriage. One believing man marries one believing woman. They they become one flesh, as happened here between. Jacob and Leah, they become one flesh and they, be, they, they form a new family. <clears throat> but in this case, this is not followed. And so we see all kinds of uh, abnormality here, ethically, morally. Uh, it would seem to be against, quote, natural reason as people talk about that today. But none of that was perceived. And uh, the thing happens. And... Uh, Jacob marries both uh, Leah. He, 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 lives, he lives with her a week. And then at the end of that week, then Laban gives Rachel to him. And so he then goes into her and they become married. But it's just a tremendous confusion there. And um, it's borne out in a text where God says that, that uh, uh, Leah's, uh, he describes Leah as having very delicate eyes. We know that, that so much of our soul comes out through our lives. So this is a good thing for Leah. Uh, this is not delicate in the sense that she needed an optometrist right away. These are, these are uh, sweet eyes, loving eyes that Leah had. And, uh, but and then it says that, uh, that Rachel 
was beautiful in form and appearance. Now, this this simply means that God knows the difference between uh, form and appearance. <laughs> uh, it's in the scriptures that, you know, it's not a sin for us to notice differences between each other and to notice that some people appeal to us more than others. And so uh, that's the case here. But there's a, there's a complication in that the way it falls out here. And then there's also a complication in that both of the women are given a, 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 a servant woman, uh, uh, Bilna for uh, Rachel and Zilpah uh, for uh, Leah. And we know ultimately that in the, in the desire to have children, that these servant or these slave girls, they're somewhere between uh, a, a, a servant and a, a slave. In Greek, the word, the word doulos means both slave and servant, so it's, it's uh, mitigated by the circumstances of that servitude. But we know that both of these women uh, had children for their uh, for their uh, their masters, their their, their uh, female masters, for Leah and for uh, um, uh, for uh, Rachel, and so that's a complicating factor in this too. It's just even in the in the we know that the, these are the the introductory details of this marriage, but we know is from the further text later on, we know that what a mess. You know, we think, oh my word. And if, if, if we had this kind of, a, just think if we had a marriage in this congregation and it had anything to do with these circumstances, we would say, well, these people can't even be members of the church. There's so much sin involved in this. There's so much confusion, so much complication. Um, you can become a member of some other church, but not this one, you know, but because of the, the confusions that were there. So these are definitely complications that take place and we see them arise almost immediately. And in that first week, it says that that uh, uh, that uh, J- Jacob uh, accommodated himself to the circumstances in which he found himself, but um, uh, it wasn't a totally happy situation. That brings us to the fourth point, then, the depths of providence. Some of the things that we learn from providence, some of the things that some of the lessons that we take away from providence. Now, one of the first things here was that this providence, Laban's trickery, his deceit, was certainly to humble Jacob. Why would God be interested in humbling Jacob? Because Jacob had stolen the birthright of Esau and he had misled his father. Isaac into thinking that he was Esau. Remember the hair, the, the, the fur that he had on his hands and the back of his neck? His mother put him up to it, or the, his mother and he conspired to do this. And uh, I, I'm sure that when, when the dimensions of Laban's deceit struck him that morning, I'm sure his mind raced back, uh, raced back and he thought immediately, this is God's recompense for me for the deceits that I pulled in my earlier life. Have you ever had that happen to you? And You do something you know is not godly, you know is a cutting the corner or whatever else, and then the same thing happens to you because God has brought it about. He wants to humble you. Now, does he want to humble you for your destruction? Or does he want to humble you for your health and for your blessing? It's the latter with the covenant people. And so... 
uh, Jacob was humble, but what we see is that Jacob, at, his end, at the end of his life, or as his adulthood progressed, we see a, a maturation there. We see a, a, a man of a fuller faith and fuller virtue, a fuller love of God, and it's a lovely thing to behold. But this came via uh, humbling Jacob, uh, humbling him based upon his own deceit. Another dimension of this was the prophecy of God that Jacob would have would be the children of many people, the, the children of uh, would compare to the stars of the sky and the sands of the seashore, that he would be the father of nations. Well, we say to ourselves, how could one, how could one man and one woman be um, so prosperous in terms of their their uh, production of children and that sort of thing? Well, all of these providences, the two the two mothers, Leah and Rachel, their their two maids, uh, Zilpah and Bilhah, Bilhah, uh, this made it much easier and. The children of Jacob, these the 12 sons, and then he had a daughter like Dinah. Uh, these children began to, the God just blessed them with amazing fertility. And within a very short time, uh, there, were, there were thousands and then millions of Jews that, uh, that went down to Egypt and, uh, and then came out and were blessed in the wilderness. And so that when they came to the land of Israel, they were ready to populate that land. And it's an amazing thing, but God was super intending over it. God was using the negative providences and the positive providence to bring about his will. Now, he wasn't forcing, it's not like God forced them into this um, semi-incestuous uh, relationship with uh, the two sisters or with uh, the... the uh, multi-wife multi arrangement here. God didn't force them into it, but com combining the cult, the customs of the day, the intelligence and the wisdom of the people of that day, that's what that's came, came about. But God used all of that to accomplish his good purposes. So you and I, when we, when we uh, become overwhelmed by the difficulties of our lives or by things that we think are going wrong, we need to realize that God is more powerful than the things that we think have gone wrong, and he's able to bring good things out of bad. God is a, a master magician, if you will. He's able to take nothing, as it were, in the hat and bring out a rabbit or whatever else and, uh, and bring blessings out of that. And so uh, that, that is one of the things, that, that's one of the, the, the blessings here of providence in this case. And then thirdly, we see that um, not only to humble Jacob, not only to multiply his offspring, but we see thirdly that uh, that he does these things um, in and through these family affections or these family um, disturbances, bad choices and that sort of thing. When you think of this, and you think of all that happens, all that comes out of this, these twelve children, you think of the, the nation of Israel. You think the, some of these, some of these negative providences here had national implications later on. When when Ephraim divides the nation from Judah and Benjamin, the virtual civil war ensued. 
uh, when when uh, Absalom revolted against his father David uh, and recruited the different tribes to work with him. You, you see how the complications of this early marriage with Jacob all work out. It looks like a crazy quilt on one side, but on the other side, we see how God works out all of these things to bring about his good providence. All things work together for good with those who are called according to his purposes. So the secret is not to get everything smooth in our lives. The secret is to love the Lord and to trust him to work all of these things out in our lives. We don't have to get real down in the dumps or discouraged or overwhelmed by the unhappy circumstances of our lives if we trust and love the living God who is almighty and orchestrates all of these things according to his own will. And in this case, uh, we see that God's providence ultimately is dependent upon what? Upon Christ's atonement. Because all things have been worked out. Colossians says all things have been worked out. All things have been perfected in Christ. And ultimately, the, the perfection of the atonement will, will overspill onto all the providences of, of this world. And ultimately, there will be a millennium. And ultimately, there will be a heavenly paradise into which we will be claimed. And it will be wonderful. But it's all traced to the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ has made all things right by his atonement, by his sacrifice, by his incarnation. And uh, he came here to, to do that sort of thing. He came here to work that out in this world and in his, his own good time. And that will be successful despite all of these negatives that we see here. This was a crazy family, but they were the hands of the God of love and the God of order and the God of redemption. And so it would all be worked out. Ultimately, this this crazy family that became a crazy nation called Israel, we see all the craziness of Israel. But ultimately, what comes out of Israel? Jesus! Jesus is born into that land, into that family, into that culture. And I would even argue that the family of Jesus, Mary and Joseph, are a wonderfully, a providentially a wonderful family that is indicative of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were such a humble couple. Uh, jo- Joseph was a godly man. So much so that even though he loved Mary, he was going to divorce her or to to not marry her uh, based upon her pregnancy until an angel comes and warns him and tells him that that not only it's not God's will that he run, but it's God's will that he stay with Mary because she is implanted with a seed from God himself, the Messiah. And it's amazing. Uh, how this this Mary and Joseph, these young kids, younger people, uh, who were the product of this Pharisaical generation, who was so confused religiously, and yet they, under God's influence, were so godly and so blessed, and such blessed parents for Jesus. It's amazing, but it, it's it's indicative of the way God works in this world through His providences and um, through His care. And so uh, 
here we are today. I started out the sermon by asking, uh, have you ever wondered whether your family was crazy or not? <laughs> well, you know, we see evidence for it here and there. We see some, sometimes great wickedness. Sometimes great mistakes are made. Um, we, say, we see ch children doing things that their parents would rather not have them do, and sometimes parents going astray. What should we do? Throw up our hands and say, what has God given me over to? No. We should thank the Lord for his sovereignty and for his providences and for his continued care over our lives. And we should throw ourselves into the equation trying to be good covenant keepers. Beginning our covenant keeping with what? Accepting the gospel. Our, our obedience begins with Accepting Jesus Christ and uh, 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 obtaining the wonders of redemption through him. And then taking up uh, all of the things we read in the Bible as our lessons for life. And going on with that, knowing that all things work out for good with those who are called according to God's purposes. Uh, Romans 8, 28 and 29. Let's close in prayer. Our Father and our God, we pray that we might be encouraged by the craziness that we see in thy, one of thy patriarchal families. We pray that rather than being discouraged or, or overwhelmed by the fact that everything is not in a straight line here, we pray that we might be encouraged that thou canst bring straight things out of crooked and thou canst make crooked things out of straight if it is according to thy will. Bless us, O Lord, in this sovereign dimension of thy deity. Help us to rest in it. Help us to, be enjoy, help us to enjoy it and to find our blessing in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.